talk smack and drink bourbon. I get tired of people saying uh, rural and they mean white. Or they say working class and they mean white. And you say urban, you mean black. Because where I grew up, where Vincent grew up, that's not how we grew up. All right, we are back for the second half of our very interesting interview with the one and only Superman of American politics, Bakari <laughs> Sellers. Vincent? We are, and we left off with a very important question. You want to remind our listeners what it was? Does Bakari Sellers ever run for office? But before you answer that question, <laughs> we're going to make everybody suffer through. This is worse than the whole Raldo Rivera. <laughs> yeah. like, what, what was it that? Actually, it's not suffering through anything because uh, we could talk to you all day, and you're such a great old friend. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your book. You've written a book called My Vanishing Country. Tell us a little bit about it, how it's doing, what inspired you to write a book. So I actually wanted to write a political book during the age of Trump. I went to uh, – back then I had a friend named Kaylee McEnany, who people know was the press secretary for the 45th president, and we were on CNN together. And she was talking about this book that she got, and she was writing about politics in the age of Trump. Uh, I actually met a lot of people before they became Trumpers. You yeah. know, Kaylee Ann Conway wow. used to work. She was a Ted Cruz, hated Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of people from back then. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's just it's funny. So she got this book Lindsey deal. Graham. And I, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> I was like, look, I want to be, I want to write this political book. And nobody wanted to buy it. Like, why would you buy it? there's plenty of people who write political books. And why would you buy a book from Bakari Sellers right. when you can get like somebody who worked for him or knew him or right. Mary Trump who hated him, who's a niece? And so I met with this publishing house, a young, a young lady named Tracy Sherrod who sat me down, was like, hear your story. I talked about Orangeburg to Charleston, politics, et cetera. And she said, you got to write this. And so, um, you know, wrote wrote a book, wrote it pretty fast, wrote it in about four and a half months because there was another guy coming out with a book at the mm -hmm. end of 2019, um, uh, excuse me, end of 2020, named Barack Hussein Obama. And so you don't want to be anywhere in his Got orbit it. because if people had $30, they're going to buy his, they're not going to buy yours. <clears throat> and so I Well, went, I must admit, I have his on, uh, I'm reading his right now. Um, will you get me a copy of uh, Bakari's book? Because I don't if have you don't go across the street. Yeah. <laughs> There's some autograph ones across the street. Yeah. Tell them where, tell our listeners where they're sold. Bakari. Oh, they're sold everywhere. But I was just in Camden. Um, I had a yeah. sign autographs at was Lord, Books on Broad. Books on Broad Lord, in Camden. Saw? Representative Lori Fundenberg's bookstore. Yeah, yeah. I, we had a great time there. Um, wrote it in four and a half months. Wrote it in four and a half months. Um, it came out, I actually sold a good bit in the first week, so more than um, Pat uh, Pat Patterson and Gladwell, but still missed the list. Um, but then the, I made it the second week and, and stayed on the... What is the book about? Just so the book's a, it, it's, it's, it's two things. One, it's, it's a 50,000-foot view of the promises of this country, not mm -hmm. just life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but also love, justice, peace, truth, those virtues that are fleeting for some um, and many. Um, and then it's like a, a micro look at rural America, particularly the black rural South, because I get tired of people saying uh, rural and they mean white or they say working class and they mean white. And when you say urban, you mean black, because where I grew up, where Vincent grew up, that's not how we grew up. Right. Because we knew working class, rural black folk. Sure. Um, you know, and when I where, where we are, everybody worked at the bomb plant. Right. Which is Savannah Riverside. Right. Sure. Or, you know, you had, you had tons Where we of were farmers. Textile mills. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the, you have the ladies who sit at the front of the church, the black ladies who wear the big hats. Y'all have been in enough black churches to know them and they wear, and they, uh, give you little candy throughout and they smell like Chanel number no. nine. When you hug them, you smell like that all day. And they use like a stick of butter in their coconut and sweet potato pies. Right. right? And these are the kind of things you describe and talk about in your book. I wanted to tell like their stories. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. that's incredible. Bakari, that, that, that story is important too. Uh, in the political political world, um, you talked about that that when we nationally talk about uh, uh, rural voters, people think of white people here in the South. It's just as likely to be black, if not more likely to be black. Uh, and these stereotypes we have, we've seen increased 
is certainly in your service time and mine as well, what I call a racialization of the parties. In other words, we've seen it where Republican is stand in for, for, for white, really. And in the South, Republic, Democratic is stand in for, for black. It, does that ever change? Does it go back in the opposite direction? Can we, can we change that? Is there a future for, for white Democrats and black Republicans? And what's going on here? Why is it like this? So the answer to the question is, yeah, I think it does change. I think that as, um, as generation, as, as generation Z kind of and millennials come into the picture, you know, the, the blessing about young folk is that they're growingly more progressive. They all know somebody who's Muslim. They know somebody who's gay. Um, they know somebody who's Jewish. They know somebody who's black. They, I mean, they, this is just their new world and they are interconnected. And so they don't have any preconceived or not many preconceived sensibilities, which may be antiquated or outdated. So the hope is the future. The hope is the future, but even more importantly, the hope is issue based. Mm-hmm. And so you asked me off camera, like, how do we win in South Carolina? I say we win on issues. I think that you have to become a party that embraces the legalization of marijuana. Um, and you embrace it in a way that's not only for medical purposes, but actually transforming the agriculture in South Carolina, giving, yeah. giving farmers, particularly white farmers who used to farm tobacco, a way to um, improve their plight. Right. Um, you also add a add a component to it, which is an equity component so that, the, you know, you probably have in Columbia, South Carolina, about 15,000 people who are walking around with a simple possession of marijuana mm-hmm. conviction. Right. Where you got white boys in Colorado right now, and my grow is in Oklahoma, who are making a ton of money right. off this. Uh, talking about gaming. These are things that we're going to have to begin to, you know, talk about. And I think that you can get a large, like if you, uh, people in Greenville and the Southern Baptist in Greenville will vote for gaming as long as it ain't in Greenville, which is fine. Right. But you can do paramutual in Kershaw and Orangeburg and Ellery and Camden. You can do. And transform those communities. And you down in Buford, maybe not in Hilton Head, but in Buford, you can do a casino. Right, right. Myrtle Beach, you can definitely do casinos. <laughs> you can limit the number of licenses and you improve the plight of the economy. And so I think all of those things are very important. So so it's interesting you say that, Bakura. Yesterday, the Senate subcommittee that uh, Chairman Brad Hutto, former guest of Bourbon in the Back Room, was chairing passed out the hate crimes bill on a three to two vote. We got a difficult journey ahead. I can tell you. But it was. But why, Joe? Why but, is but, it? But just listen. To this. What was stunning to me, and you talk about young people, that should be stunning to young people. Some of the opponents of this bill were dead set in their beliefs: we should not protect people based on sexual orientation or gender. Okay, that, that if somebody chooses to be gay, they shouldn't enjoy the same protection as somebody who's straight. And they were very public about their opposition to that. Well, one, it's not really a choice, but I get your point. Like it's, it, that's probably the most important thing. And when you come from the frame, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's what we're talking. That's why Generation Z is so important. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're a dope generation because they, I have to remind, I have to remind folks. Did you say they're a dope generation? Yeah, that's a colloquial term. Is that a pun? No, that's a colloquialism that means that's, that's, that's a young person's that's term. Great. Those of us that are young understand. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thank sorry. You. That's yeah. somebody that wants to feel like they still are. That's <laughs> yeah. what that is. Go ahead. Um, but just think about, think about somebody who is 21 years old today. They were born in 2000. They've seen a housing crisis. They've seen the first black president. They've seen us at war. They've seen Donald Trump become president. They've seen school shootings. They've seen the largest mass shooting we've ever had in Las Vegas, Nevada. They've seen a pandemic. 
right? They've lived through all, they've had a full life and they had the advent of social media. And that's a lot for 21 years. Correct. And that's why this generation is so resilient. Whoop. Police shootings, et cetera. And so that's a lot on their shoulders. And then, like three months ago, we were worried about them eating Tide Pods, but now they're on the <laughs> forefront of like changing the political conversation. And so I have a lot of hope with them. You combine it with issues and I think you have South Carolina can change. Maybe not in, I don't mean it just poo poo on. No time soon. Joe and me as parade, but maybe right. not in November, yeah. but it can change. Um, you know, what, we'll leave this topic, but I'll just leave it with this and McCarty and comment. One of the things I've seen, McCarty, is I listen, and, and of course, I'm still on the ground in a small community, in a rural community. If you ask people who are Republican or Democrats or black or white about issues, honestly, not, they, don't, they don't have a lot of difference. I mean, they tend to overlap each other. It seems like the parties are now more a cultural or social kind of clique, and people feel like they belong to a tribe or another. I agree. I mean, I think the best ad Jamie ran was the ad about the old man on the road yeah. about yeah. the roads. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I mean, there, but there's going to become a point of frustration, too, mm-hmm. which I I mean, you keep sending the same Republican Party up to control the, the, the Capitol here in South Carolina, and your plight doesn't change. I mean— we still have roads that are terrible. We still have hospitals Government that are closing. Government that's not I mean, very functional. The, the ethics of the capital. Yeah. Is and that's, still, that's again, know. though, I think where the nationalization of politics has really hurt us all in the state. Well, that has a lot to do with my profession. My yeah. other, one of my. Well, let's well, talk, let's about, talk that. about that. Cause, you know, so I'm going to jump right into that because we have a limited amount of time here. Um, 2015, we've talked about on the show the, the, the horrific, tragic night of the Emanuel 9 shooting. And, you know, all of us can relive those moments like they were yesterday. Clem sat next to Vincent, who sat next to me on the Senate floor. Um, you know, I remember um, the day after the shooting, we actually played S- Senator Pinckney's speech about the Walter Scott shooting. Okay. So as the events unfold um, and we're still watching 24-hour news, I start to see Bakari Sellers on yeah. TV a lot. Okay. So tell us um, how you um, – you know, because you were very close to, to Senator Pinckney as well, and and um, what it was like to be in Charleston during that time. So people people forget and don't know kind of how close we were. It was just like not just a service thing, but Clem actually took me under his wing when I got there because Clem was very youngest, very young. He was the youngest member when he got yeah. there. Yeah, he was the youngest member. And of the I always Senate tell folks that Clem Clem would have much rather be like. Bishop of the AME Church Absolutely. than be governor of South Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's like yeah. <laughs> people who knew Clem like that yeah. was that that's And that's where his attention was. That's where his attention was. Oh yeah, yeah. It was on Medicaid expansion in the church. Yeah. But I'll tell you a lot of people he's a very astute investor too. Oh, he I believe loved that. to talk about the investments market. and yeah. stocks yeah. and bonds. Yeah. Um, but so and the other thing, I was there, not at the church, I was a mile away that night. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, yeah. A lot of us were. Steve Benjamin, etc. We were at a big fundraiser at the home of Akima Nestapula for Hillary Clinton. How about that? And so the timing of it, it was in the middle of 2015. Marco Rubio and like Rick Santorum, they were having events at the port. Like everybody was around. So there was a lot of national media didn't have to come in. National media they were already was already there. there. Yeah, they were there. I remember. And that so I, we, we got on 26. You know, you merge on 26 from like a meeting street. You merge on. And as soon as we merged on, they had these big, big just vehicles, boom, boom, just emergency vehicles flying down. I didn't know what happened. So I went to the 24 hour news source, Twitter. And they say on Twitter, like, there's a shooting right at a in downtown Charleston. That's right. the first way it came. I immediately get on the phone because I'm there with Candy and Jill Fletcher, who were my fundraisers. Yep. Great, yep. great ladies. Great people. Known them a and long I call, time. I call them, and I should have known, but I call them, and they're at Halls, right? Yeah. And they're like, but we're on lockdown. We can't leave. Like, they had locked down the perimeter. So nobody knew. 
And then I get a call from Tyler Jones, who at yep. that time was executive director. And he said, I just want you to know. Political consultant in South Carolina. Yeah. Right. He said, I just want you to know. Ran Joe Cunningham's campaign that won and lost. Um, he said, <laughs> I just want you to know that, you know, they shot Clem and they shot Mother Emanuel. And so then you start learning the backstory. Uh, you learn how Jennifer's in the church and Clem's you know, life. Jim, I had to climb underneath the desk. And yeah. yeah, but you learn how Joe Neal was one of the people who was very close to Clem and Jennifer had to, you know, help her get out the church, get back up here because, you know, nobody wanted to, you know, you didn't want the media to consume her and right. things like that. You learn that Clem was one of the people who actually, you know, made it, at least made it to the hospital. Marlon Kempson was sent to the hospital to check on him. And you just learn on all these different facts. And one of the weird things that happens when you have tragedies like this that a lot of people don't know, I, I got a phone call from um, Kelvin Washington, who was a U.S. Marshal, and I got a phone call from Alan Wilson. And I applaud them both for that because they just wanted people who – yeah. They were good about it. I they mean, wanted people to know information. Right, right. And so I went home that night and I drank some Jameson, which is like my thing when I'm like having a thing. And WIS, they're like, can I do a phone interview? And I did a phone interview the next day. I talked, I talked to the two people in my life who were like my, the, my mentors, like my, my fatherly figures, of course, my dad. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe they just killed Clem. And then the second person I talked to was Pete. Mm-hmm. So I called Pete that Pete night. Pete Strom, who you work Pete, with now. Yeah. Pete Strom, who I work with. And Pete didn't pick up. And so I called Susan. She put Pete on the phone. I told him. We talked about it, breathed a little bit. <laughs> Joel called my house. I didn't pick up. He told me. <laughs> no, I had to wake Amy. And Amy w- so up. that's what everybody was waking up everybody yeah. else. And, you know, Susan's like, she might have even picked up Pete's phone, which is how you know you love somebody when yeah. you're picking up their phone. Yeah. And she was like, and I said, uh, she was like, do you want me to wake him up? I said, yeah. And she was like, okay. And so everybody by that time is awake. Everybody's watching the news. And I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm going back to Charleston. So I go back to Charleston the next day. I do everything but. I don't do any Fox News because I don't want to sit there and spend 30 minutes explaining to you, like, right. the plight of the being black. Like, I just right. want to, right. you know, I just want Just being human. Just being human. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that. And so uh, we, you know, you, you're you sweating. I remember I was sweating. They all they all are um, lined up where the old First Citizens was. Satellite trucks. I remember this. The old First Citizens was right on the corner of meeting and um, uh, it's, my, it's Mother Emanuel Way now or something like that. And uh we're doing interviews. You're, we're fine on time. We're doing interviews, and riding by me is Kelvin Washington, and he says, I got him. It's me and Todd wow. talking about Dylan Roof. So as soon as we were able to find out that Dylan Roof – and it's just South Carolina. Yeah. 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 That was he a ne- Thursday. So this happened on a Wednesday night. Right. That yeah. was a Thursday because let me just tell you where we were. So yeah. we are in the Senate. A bunch of us, Vincent, remember we meet in Senator Leatherman's office before – you know, I've been on the phone all night with, I woke Vincent up. I woke James Smith up. Daryl Jackson, as you know, is one of my best friends. We were talking throughout the night. And next morning, he calls me about like 830. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just still in bed, just watching TV. He said, can you come down and meet with us in Leatherman's office? I said, yeah, what are, what are we meeting? He said, we've got to decide what to do. Yeah, we, we were in the down. middle of, of whether we were going to pass a budget that That's year. That's right. Not. You know, and so we, we, um, we meet in Leatherman's office. We agree we're going to go in and have a memorial. And then, you know, we agreed that, and, 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 um, it's actually my suggestion. I said, before we even start anything, pull the screens down and play his last oh, speech powerful. on the floor. Cause I, I hated that black robe y'all put over his desk. Cause that, for me, my anxiety, it was a, I understand it, but it was triggering. It, let me tell you something. Listen, it was when numb. I walked, yeah. When ahead. I walked in, 
to the Senate because I was you broke um, down. Yeah, I, it, it's right next yeah. to me, and 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 I'll never forget um, Brian Sterling, who's a Republican. I love Brian Henry Master, law school classmate Great of mine. Guy. Yeah. He was standing in the garage when I parked right next to my spot with a bouquet of flowers he probably got from the 7-Eleven, <laughs> just crying. Yeah. And and he said, I don't know what to do, but I brought these. And I took the flowers and I walked up there and gave them to the clerk and he put them on, on Clem's desk right next to my That's a car. We walk in. I'm, the, I'm literally suing Brian Sterling right now at the Department of Corrections. <laughs> yeah, Brian Sterling is <laughs> like, the regular but that's probably got the toughest, toughest job, job. Like, I, I, I'm like, Brian, you're really so too no. good for no, this job. No, yeah, no, yeah. no. So anyway, but, we walk in the Senate and we walk in the main door. All remember, um, yeah. Vincent, all the staff in the Gresset building is standing around, yeah. and we walk in two by two, and we sit down, and that's the first time. We so see this the is desk. crazy. You want to know something? I I was we were sitting outside. We were all you know all the media's in front. I remember Wednesday. We everybody by Thursday, Friday. Every, the question is: Are they going to have church? Yeah. Right. Is, are they going to have church on Sunday? And I never forget. Floyd Breland was a member of that church. Yeah. Great guy, and former so they, representative from so they were, Charleston. So they were like uh, Big Daddy is what right. we call it. With him. a yeah, wonderful right. voice. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so yeah. they they came to me and they were like, they were going to have service. And they said, Bakari, do you want to do you want to go in? And I was like, there's no way yeah. I'm going to go in this church when there are other members who who need to right. be. I'm not going to take up a seat. Right. And I sit outside and I'm, I actually listen to the service outside with Austin Smith, who at the time worked for Nikki Haley. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so you just had this unique – Kind of, and <clears throat> along that week, I don't know exactly when it was. Wendell Gilliard, I have to give him credit for it, comes up to house me, member, house from member from Charleston, who represents the district that Mother Emanuel is located he, in, and by the way, is the primary sponsor of the current hate crimes bill being correct. debated in the Senate. So comes up to me and Todd, and's like, "We need to get the, we need to get the flag lower." Cool. And so we begin the process of figuring out how we're going to get. I don't think Bobby's Bobby's not speaker anymore. I can't remember who's speaker. Bobby's still speaker. Uh, maybe. I can't remember. So we're going to try to get the flag lowered. And we get to this thing that you can't lower the Confederate flag. Yeah, you're talking about the lowering to half, sta- half, half mass. Half the, mass. The, so uh, so the, in South Carolina, for a period of time, we had this awkward moment where the American flag was lowered at half staff, and the Confederate but state flag law would not allow us to well, lower the Confederate Bak- flag. Bakari, this is, this is a tough question, and this is something I struggled with at the time. When did you realize, and this is going to sound kind of brutal, but it's true. When did you realize that that you, we, the ones of us who who worked on this, had to use this tragedy, this this death, to to bring down the Confederate flag and finish what we'd started in yeah. 2014? Did or you know back, right off, or back when Joe Riley started yeah. it in 2000? I or was back my second when, year in the legislature. Yeah. Yeah. When did you When did you know? I mean, because this was for so me. This, this is was when a I, this real is when struggle. I got, it went, so when we, after they arrested Dylan Roof, and he had this quote unquote manifesto, and you saw this picture of Dylan Roof sitting in this dark, like, backyard, and he was enveloped in a Confederate flag, I knew then. You knew. I knew then. See, then. I had some of our friends, you know, some of the biggest civil rights supporters tell me, this is not the time to do it. I got, Don't do but it. we, yeah, I ignored that. I heard that a lot. It took me 24 hours. <laughs> people are going to be like, people are going to be like, oh, it was going to divide us more. Right. I don't care. Yeah. The thing got to come down. Yeah. And I, I, you know, this is when I differ from some of my friends to the left, like Vincent and everybody else, because I do think that there, there was a certain amount of courage that was needed for Nikki to take that down. And I think that although she got, well, let's rephrase that to say it should be taken down because she couldn't take it down. Correct. To say yeah. it should be taken down. And I think that 
Um, you when you when you look at the pictures, I, I thought we did an excellent job of not giving her a choice anymore, yeah. and that's why it took her till Monday. I, I, I agree, but at the but at the time, I think that getting that group together, however it came together, the Tim Scotts of the world, and 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 but you know Henry and Alan were still nowhere to be found. The Tim Scotts and Lindsey Graham's and recognizing that moment, I still think took some political capital. Now, how she uses that today may offend some or whatever, but I think that there is, there is, I mean, she deserved, and I, I saw how exhausted she was going to those every, Nikki went to every single funeral. I remember that when the horse drawn carriage came in front of the state house, I don't know how I ended up beside her and she put her head on my shoulder and it was like a picture like that. This was a taxing time for the state. And so I give her credit for one, making it through two, being there for those families and three, having the political courage to it. I don't think she, I, I honestly thought or think that she thought she was going to be politically done in South Carolina for doing that. And she left anyway, but, um, I give her credit for so, that. So real quick, cause we got a lot done packing. I've always said this and, and I don't necessarily take that same position. Okay. I've always said whether it was out of political expediency or sincerity, that flag doesn't come down if Nikki Haley doesn't you know, call for it to come down. There's no way that we get votes in the legislature. I agree. You know, if she doesn't stand if nobody's going against her. I mean, I also think Jenny Horn's speech. I think there were a lot of there were a lot of if moments. People didn't do something that doesn't come down. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. let me tell you something about everybody didn't vote for that either. I think we need no. to rem- remind yeah. folks that everybody didn't. Oh, there were and, there and, were two votes in the Senate. Well there were not only that, there were a lot of votes to put up a different Confederate flag. It almost that's what people don't remember is there was almost another was almost Confederate flag. Yeah, I still passed. I was reminding Senator Daryl Jackson the other day that the weekend before we were to vote on the flag debate, Lee Bright was running around in Spartanburg, former Senator Lee Bright, who a little bit not a little bit, very crazy, selling Confederate flag bumper stickers. And I was just very offended by well, that. Well, when the I can say this about my Senate district, when the Confederate flag came down, more Confederate flags went up in my Senate district. Oh no question. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um talk to us about that you, all of a sudden you're doing interviews. We started this question and we go down the road. I got a phone call. I was doing a lot of interviews on MSNBC and CNN. Um, I, but I had been doing these interviews periodically every now and then before this incident, just on different issues. Sure. Not a lot once every other week. Okay. Um, and I got a phone call from a private number. People know that if it's a private number, it's one or two people. It's either somebody <laughs> very important or a student loan company calling. Or somebody calling you about your home, your your automobile warranty. <laughs> or, or Joe Lurie calling you about insurance. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. So, or wanting you to be on the uh, So I, I pick up the phone and it's CNN calling and they said they want to offer me a, a job. Um, I was I was just getting off of – I was with Carl Anderson, the yeah. representative from Georgetown. Georgetown. And we were just getting off ABC this week. I was walking with Jill. Jill was like, here, CNN. Nice. So just an executive CNN. They offered me a job. Uh, they paid me fifteen thousand dollars from June to the end of the year, and uh, it's just you know you go from Denmark where you got three thousand people yeah. to yeah. speaking to a million the world people works, right? Night. So Bakari, what's that like? You enjoy it? You're still doing it? You doing it? I more do. Now? I do. I, I love it because you get to give a voice right. to so many people. Um, you know, it's tough because you you have to be that voice doing whether or not it's covering. I was a legal analyst. One of the legal analysts, Laura Coates, scary is, and, and I know, I like, you know how many times I took the bar, but, uh, Laura Coates and Elliot Williams are far better than I am, but they were legal analysts, uh, along with myself during the George, uh, during the Derek Chauvin trial, um, and, uh, you know, doing the, the funeral of Dante, um, which I just did recently. 
Um, you know, those things get exhausting. Yeah. But it's, did, a, it's a good job. Do we ever – this gets back to the nationalization of politics. Does it ever get local again or does it continue to get nationalized? No, no, no. With the, with, the, with the prevalence of social media and 24-hour news networks. I mean, I, I challenge everyone who's listening. And this is a, a challenge I give to students. I gave it to my – there are tens of thousands of people listening. Yeah, I know. Just I know. But also, Bakari has a podcast, for those of you who don't know that, and he'll plug it right now. He might have more listeners. Than it is one. probably sure. one of my second favorite political <laughs> podcast. Give, us, you that, give us that name. Uh, the Bakari Sellers Podcast. You see, you like the creativity? Yeah, that's brilliant. It, it, the man. question is, would we be willing to be on your podcast? The answer is yes. <laughs> I, I have a lot of space. About 2023 is when I open up again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what was I I do want about? you to know we had you after what Alan Wilson. CNN. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my Range Rover babies, when I was at, when I was at, um, this is a challenge I give to y'all. When I was at University of Chicago, I taught there for a semester. I taught the politics of race and, no, the politics of race and progressivism in the South, in the Institute of Politics. One, one week I had them watch New Day, CNN, every morning for 30 minutes. The next week I had them watch Morning Joe every day for 30 minutes. And the next week I had them watch Fox and Friends every day for 30 minutes. And then we talk about it at the end. They literally saw Two different worlds. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. So you, by being on CNN, though, you also, um, how how taxing is that on your time? Give us just a quick idea of what that looks like on a Insane. weekly or monthly basis. So during the Chauvin trial, for example, I was on 5 and 6 a.m. I would go do a little legal work. My babies wake up at 7, so you don't you really do, go back you to do sleep. that in a studio in oh, Charlotte? Do, do that in a studio in Charlotte, right. 5, 6, do some, do some legal work. Radio, Ricky Smiley radio shows, whatever, do some legal work. They're usually back in the studio about 11, 10 or 11 midday shows. Try to eat some lunch. Try to do some of my private business ventures. I'm back in the studio for Wolf at 5, workout, 5 and 6. Then I'm, uh, I come back home after Wolf, eat dinner, put the kids to bed. I usually try to take a nap, wake up and go do Don. Um, Who's between, Don? Don Lemon. Don Lemon between so 10 and 12. I don't watch a lot of cable news. Don is between 10 and 12, and then I, I do it the next day. So That's crazy. Yeah, I yeah. do CNN. I do CNN. I, I have a, a, a portfolio that's growing with just private startups that I'm trying to find and invest in, and I do a, I have a, mar- a very good marijuana business. Um, Wait a minute. Let's, let's be more specific about the marijuana business. What are you doing? Growing weed and selling, <laughs> and you out there, you out there farming, Bacardi. Huh? I'm a Come gentleman on. farmer. No, we don't actually don't farm outside. So I have a uh, two companies. One is called Citizens Grown. And where are they? Um, so I, I'll tell you. One is called Citizens Grown, and one is called Hashtoria. Hashtoria are dispensaries. We have. We'll have five dispensaries in Oregon State and one grow in Oregon. And you're a partner, or are you the uh, majority stockholder? No, I'm a partner. Right. I'm, a, I'm one of the like uh, on the co-founders. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, we have a kitchen. And we're, we will be having a kitchen in Arizona. We have a huge grow in um, Oklahoma, which I'm most proud of. Which is a very, um, put it the right way, friendly to uh, marijuana. Uh, oh, it's a wild. It's if a wild, you wild west. Need yeah. Samplers are producers, Austin and Campbell. <laughs> we will. So this is the crazy thing about it. Uh, after we 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 just grew out, we just developed a, our manufacturing facility. We just had a, a grow. I uh, put it on my IG account where we just grew about 110 pounds. But um, after uh, uh, after we finish the the, mm-hmm. the, the reno- renovation, I will be manufacturing about thirty five to forty pounds of wheat wow. a, uh, a week. Wow, that, that is great. By the way, with your CNN deals, um, <clears throat> I hope because you're a very seasoned negotiator that you got a little bump on that fifteen thousand dollar year contract. Yeah, I know. you know it. <laughs> so the crazy thing is, I, I I got that joint account with my wife, and my CNN check goes in there, and it's supposed to be joint, but it's the only money that flows in there. And she gives me she gives me a a, a one thousand dollar a month. Funny how we went from the marijuana to the conversation to the joint account. Uh-huh. Get it? See, all, all right, right. Oh, Joel. Joel, <laughs> we got to wrap this up. We've kept Bakari too long. Let's get back to what our listeners. 
want to know, which is Bakari Sellers. Do you ever run for office again and 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 when? So the answer is yeah, but um, I'm not running against Tim Scott, which I guess is breaking news. I don't know, but I want people to stop asking me. I okay. think they're great people who are running. Um, you know, maybe Jennifer <laughs> Reed can get out there and run um, for Tim Scott's seat. I think she would be great. I know Crystal Simmons um, from the Low Country. From the Low Country last week is yeah. is running. Um, uh, I know people are are considering running, and so um, I'm going to be more than supportive and write every check I can and campaign with folk. Um, not doing that. Not running for governor. Don't have any urge to to go out there and, and do that. I don't. I don't know if we're in a position to do that. I know that Stacey Abrams had Fair Fight. She started that in 2014. Um, bared fruit five six years later, and about took about fifty million dollars. And sure. and and we haven't done that. Di- different demographics, and we, but we just haven't done the work yeah. right here right. in South Carolina. And so you know, we were really considering running against Jim Clyburn in 2022, or running for the seat in 2022. That changed when his for his, I guess you could say his political fortunes changed when after the election of Joe Biden, and it was he was deemed kingmaker. I mean, I, you know, I think Joe Biden was going to win by 40 anyway. But I'm really glad that we were able to build that momentum, courtesy of, of Congressman Clyburn, absolutely, and win, right, and win that race. Um, so, so if if Congressman Clyburn retires at some point in the future, you still may be in the game. Oh yeah, no, no question. That's why I'm moving into the sixth congressional district. There you, go. We'll there you have it. Gotcha. And 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 just out of curiosity, given all you've done, given you know you're on television, you practice law, you have um, successful weed businesses. By the way, I'd like to talk to you about that after the show. <laughs> um, you know, you're doing so much. Do you see yourself though really, um, wanted to go into Congress and be one of, um, you know, this big body where, um, you know, there, I be, be number 435 and have to work with Jeff Duncan. I don't know the answer to that question, yeah. but today I think if the opportunity presented itself, I, uh, I'm still yeah, there. I, I have to think that talented people can still rise. And, you know, we saw, we've seen that before in the recent past. Yeah. yeah. I think it's necessary to get people to go to Congress. Well, I got to tell you, this has been a Thank delight. You. Bakari Thank Sellers, um, always been a big fan of yours and, um, love your family. Please give them our best. Uh, so glad to hear your children and your wife are doing great and, uh, nothing but great things in store for you. Bakari Sellers, and you can also, Reach him. What's your Twitter uh, handle? Bakari underscore Sellers. Please reach out. Follow me. And also on Instagram, Bakari Sellers. There you go. There you go. That wraps it up. Bourbon in the back room. We'll be back in just a few minutes to to wrap it all up. So, Joel, I hear we have our first sponsor for the podcast. Vincent, did you know that this year, Lexington Medical Center will have served the Midlands for 50 years? Well, that's a long time. It really is. But Lexington Medical Center does more than take care of our community. They're part of it. How's that? They're the only locally owned independent hospital in the Midlands, so they take care of their families, friends, and neighbors. Well, that explains why the readers of the state newspaper have named them Best Hospital for nearly 20 years. Lexington Medical Center, they always put our community's needs first. I know that myself. They make it very easy to find the right doctor. All you have to do is go to lexmed.com slash doctors and you'll find everything you need to schedule an appointment with the best physicians in the Midlands. Well, we're glad to have them as the sponsor of the best podcast in the Midlands. Barbara in the back room. We'll be right back. Joel, that was a fabulous interview with Bakari Sellers. You and I have both known him now for almost 20 years. We've served with him in the legislature. I've been able to do legal work with him. Um, We've been through difficult times like the death of our, our, our friend, Clem Pinckney. Um, but it's fun to look at what Bakari is doing now and thinking about the future. What are your thoughts about 
his future. Well, I, I think he's got a bright future. Uh-huh. You know, um, I, I've always had a great sense of respect and admiration for Bakari Sellers um, and his whole family. And, you know, um, and he just he is kind of the carrying the Sellers legacy forward. Yeah. Um, if you just think about that, um, and those of us that come from political families, you know, but, but what he, you know, his legacy is so incredible. I'd love to see Bakari Sellers run for office again, uh, one day. It would be such a pleasure to see him, you know, go to Congress or go to the U.S. Senate, um, maybe run for governor, although, you know, that probably is, is something he's not interested in right now. I tell you what I'm impressed with Bakari, um, Vincent is when he started talking about the Orangeburg massacre yeah. and, you know, um, and how much he remembers being told about that as a young man and growing up and being the son of Cleveland sellers, I got chill bumps. I yeah. mean, I almost had to kind of catch myself so we could keep asking questions because yeah. all I wanted to do was listen. Well, it, it, first of all, it's an incredible story, an incredible part of the history of the state. And I think Bakari has carried on his shoulders a sense of obligation related to that. Um, as I talked to him and he talks, he teaches a class that, 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 or helps me teach a class at the Honors College of USC. He comes and teaches one of the classes. Um, it's almost like he feels compelled to tell the story and, and to remind people of the story that that's part of the legacy he's inherited from his father and an, almost an obligation, which I think he carries out very well, but I can tell he feels like it's something that he is driven to do. Uh, speaking of driven, for, for those of us who are friends with Bakari, uh, when, when we asked him about would he run for future office and, and he said, um, you know, the things he wouldn't run for, first of all, uh, he wants to run for Congress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, no he's dying to run for Congress. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, um, that in the vein that we've talked about on this show of, of, of South Carolinians who punch above their weight and that South Carolina punches above its weight, Bakari would do that. I mean, Bakari, would have a national impact in a very big way beyond just South Carolina. Oh, there's Carolina. no question. First of all, because of who he is. Um, secondly, because of he's so talented. I mean, you, if Bakari Sellers, and this, by the way, is not to take anything away from Jim Clyburn. I don't want to get into a shoot, sure. you know, because I have such great, you know, a longtime friendship with Jim Clyburn and, and he has meant so much to our state and country. Yeah. But if the time comes where he decides not to run and Bakari runs, I think Bakari quickly emerges. Uh, with a very important voice for in Congress and for our country, I'm glad he shared with us some of the travails he had uh, with his with his the tough times he had with his family, yeah. his children, and his and his wife. And and I'm glad because the knock against Bakari when we were in the legislature was really just a function of he, him being young, which was he wasn't serious enough. He didn't put in enough of the the effort to make things stick. He he didn't see it to the end. And frankly, you know, how many people when they're 21 or 22 or 23 <laughs> operate any differently than that? But the last 10 years of Bakari's life, he's been through more hell than most of us ever would while he's working four jobs and living up to a legacy of his mom and dad. I think he really takes very seriously. And the maturity of Bakari Sellers now, it's nothing like a Bakari Sellers of 10 years ago. Would you agree with that? I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I was thinking that while he was talking yeah. and, and just – um, you know, thinking about how much he has grown, um, as a person, um, how, what a deep thinker he is. I mean, we were sitting across the table from somebody who carries a tremendous responsibility on issues like social justice, yeah. on yeah. health care. And, um, and I think he has a very bright future. And I think, um, he continues to make 
be proud to call him a friend. I think he continues to make South Carolina proud as a native son of South Carolina. Well, Joel, this 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 interview with Bakari Sellers was a first for us. We actually uh, had to to turn it into two different episodes because it was so substantive. So I blame deep. you for that because every time he would start talking, <laughs> you'd want to give your opinion. I felt like I was back in the Senate again. Yeah, so, anybody yeah. else do that in the room while we're here? Uh, I'll say it was definitely three of us. Um, but the other reason uh, was because next week is a very – next week, the week that this episode will be uh, – show and are near to it is a really important week because it's april the 29th and you know what april the 29th is why don't you ask your producer is it your birthday yes you know it's which your, one your 50th birthday your 50th birthday <laughs> um i'm a few years ahead of you <laughs> and uh, i think i'm gonna be celebrating that with you and All your right. family well, we and, and we look it. forward to it and vincent um Bakari's young but you've done a lot in 50 years too well. you know um it's it's been a joy doing this program with you and um, I'm so excited to to continue to bring our audience the people that tune in every week all these interesting stories I got a quick interesting um, story to share with you we got a we're getting all kinds of thank you comments. let me let me just say while you look while you pull that up thank you our listeners for the emails the uh, text messages and your posts on Facebook remember to join us or to email us at bourboninthebackroom at gmail.com or just comment on Facebook or Twitter, B-I-T-B-R. So this is, this is from our friend. B-I-T-B-R podcast. Got it. This is from our friend Zane Gray. Um, Zane's mom worked with us in the Senate and he sends me this nice, um, message on LinkedIn, but he says, I especially appreciate the relaxed environment y'all have with your guests, which enabled us to hear the real human being and not just the wound up type politician. I like and I think it. that's what's interesting is that yeah. whether it's Mick Mulvaney and Alan Wilson or whether it's Bakari Sellers and Steve Benjamin and Beth Bernstein, you know, Vincent, I think what makes South Carolina politics unique and Bakari touched on this are the relationships. And I'm, I'm proud of the relationships that you and I have developed over the years that we're able to bring these types it's great. of quality. Joel, it's so in. much fun. We're having so much fun and our listeners are loving it. Listen to this comment from Keith June. This is great. Vincent and Joel, I cannot begin to tell you guys how much I enjoy your podcast. It's informative, enlightening, and funny. Many thanks to Vincent. Yeah, how about that? Who has come to serve as the color commentator. But this was my best part, Joel. I'll skip down to it. He was suggesting guests. And listeners, we do listen to you. He said Bakari Sellers would be a great guest. Well, he was a great guest. (laughs) He was. Thank you for that suggestion, Keith June. And um, listeners, keep sending them to us. We'll have good guests and good topics and good times. That wraps it up for this week's episode of Bourbon in the Back Room. We'll see you next week.